It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you the other side of the coin. Welcome in. We are live here on this Friday. Great to be with you guys. A lot to get to on the show today as we have some Atlanta Braves predictions going forward as they start a big homestand. I look forward at the schedule. I can predict when they'll be back above 500. That is coming up later on in the show, as well as Lon Jabara, sideline reporter for the Atlanta Hawks, will join us. Also, my good friend on Pixwise Nation, uh, where we do some gambling stuff together. We'll join the show in our final segment as we go over uh, the Atlanta Hawks offseason. But we start today with the Atlanta Falcons. And oh, by the way, I want to remind you guys, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, at LockedOnATL. I'm at Mark Zinno. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, and we're free wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Should have said that before, but we're away we go here on this Friday. The Atlanta Falcons, and uh, you know, I, I continue to dive into the draft and into the offseason and look at where this team is and how they're doing with roster construction and try to forecast what some of the future may look like. And I've spent a lot of time over the past week screaming about how the Falcons have to figure out what Desmond Ritter is and figure out if he can play and figure out, you know, what they need to do going forward because the quarterback is the most important part of a rebuild. And in reality, you know, you start to look at the cornerstone pieces of this franchise. And my friend, Michael Rothstein from ESPN.com sums it up pretty succinctly. There are five cornerstone pieces on this team right now. Grady Jarrett, Jake Matthews, A.J. Terrell, Chris Lindstrom, and now Kyle Pitts, right? Like, those are your cornerstone guys that probably aren't going anywhere anytime soon, that likely won't be cap casualties, even though Jake Matthews could be. But I don't see that happening um, because he is a very viable left tackle and and should continue to be for uh, another three to five years. So those are your five pieces right there. Those are the guys you're going to extend when their first round deal is over and you're going to keep them here on the roster and, and you can help build around them. And I think that's fair. After that, everybody else is up for grabs at this point in time. And the question is, is you need a quarterback to be that sixth piece and that's really where you start to, to look around. And oh, by the way, what have I said repeatedly about the four most important positions on a football field? On the defensive side, it's pass rusher and cornerback, which they have, and Grady Jarrett, again, you know, not a pure pass rusher, but, you know, he's a solid, he's an above solid defensive lineman. He's a very good defensive lineman. 
Um, but he's sort of that guy. And you have A.J. Terrell. And then you need a left tackle, which you have in Jake Matthews and a quarterback. Those are the four most important positions on a football field. Quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, and corner. Like that, the, If you don't have four of those, you're not a playoff team. If you don't have four legitimate of those, you're not a playoff team. And so as we sit here right now and look at where they are and what they're building, obviously the quarterback is the glaring one. And is Desmond Ritter that guy? Well, here's the other side of the coin. Because, again, I've said repeatedly that you have to figure out whether this kid can play. Like, that is your sole purpose in 2022. What if, though, what if the Falcons start their offseason program, they get him into rookie camp, they get him into OTAs, they get him into mandatory minicamp, and then training camp rolls around. And by that point in time, you know what the Falcons are going to know by the time they kick off training camp? They're going to have a very good measure of where Desmond Ritter is as far as being an NFL quarterback. And I'll give you a perfect example with a quarterback who was drafted much higher and a quarterback that many people felt should be wearing a Falcons uniform. And that's Justin Fields. Justin Fields was drafted by the Bears. And you might not remember who they, they what veteran they put in place to sort of be the competitor slash, you know, veteran starter and then pass the, the torch to the young rookie kind of guy. And that was Andy Dalton. Remember Andy Dalton had lost his starting job in Cincinnati, was a backup in Dallas, right? Uh, when Dak went down, Andy Dalton came in and then he takes the Chicago job. And when Matt Nagy, who was the coach of the Chicago Bears at the time, told you guys when training camp started, we're starting Andy Dalton week one. He's our starter. He only said that for one reason and one reason alone. And this is a guy, oh, by the way, whose job was on the line. This is a guy, oh, by the way, who was on his way to being fired. And he knew if he didn't have a successful season, he was going to be fired. And you know what he did? The guy that they drafted, what was it, fifth overall, said, sit on the bench. I'm going to start Andy freaking Dalton's instead. And why did they say that? Because they knew and they saw Justin Fields wasn't ready. He was not ready to play yet. And, oh, by the way, when Andy Dalton got hurt and Justin Fields had to come in, guess what we found out? Justin Fields ain't ready. He doesn't have it yet. It, it hasn't all translated for him. And that's the other side of the coin of this thing for Desmond Ritter, is that he might not have it all yet. He might not be ready. And if he's not ready, throwing him to the Wolves only does two things. One, it's going to hurt him, hurt his confidence, and not make him any better to a certain extent. And two, it's going to end up being a waste of a pick. You're going to find out it's a waste of a pick. And he's a long-term prospect that really isn't ever going to see the field for you until he can prove he's ready. But it's going to be very hard for him to do because he's not going to get enough reps to show you that he's ready. Now, you could argue, look, if you figure out at that point in time, you can't play, you're drafting another quarterback anyway. And you're right, you are. But do you still, when you draft a new guy, have to go through the same process to figure out if that new guy can play? And just because they're a first-round pick doesn't mean that they can play. See Josh Rosen. See Sam Darnold. I mean, you know, there are plenty of first-round quarterbacks who can't see Daniel Jones, who can't play, who aren't good enough to be franchise quarterbacks. So you're just delaying the process a whole nother year. That's that's the kind of rub of this whole thing. And so I am 100% on board with them figuring out if Desmond Ritter can play. But if they know early on that he can't play, and you see that Marcus Mariota is anointed the starter 
by the time training camp rolls around, tells you all you need to know that they saw very early, they saw very easily, Desmond Ritter is not ready to play in the NFL yet. I hope that's not the case. I hope it's not. Because if it is, you, you, the front office has got to be scrambling to figure out what they're going to do long-term about the quarterback position. Because whether we want to admit it or not, right now Desmond Ritter is the long-term solution. That's the guy who will be here for at least four years. Now, that may only be in a backup role. They may be able, you know, the, the, the landscape may change and other quarterbacks may be available and things may change. And, you know, who, who can predict any of that? Nobody can. But the point simply is, is that finding out that he can't play is a bad thing. That's not a good thing at all. It starts your process all over again. And what is year zero right now, the rebuild? You're going to repeat year zero until you get the quarterback long-term figured out. That's the situation that the Atlanta Falcons are in right now. And I hope I don't hear those words. But trust me, if at any point in time, before training camp starts, or early on in training camp, they come out and say, Marcus Mariota is our week one starter, you know it's because Ritter's not ready. There's no reason for them not to have an open competition. That makes no sense. Right? And go back to Russell Wilson, who won the job over Matt Flynn years and years and years ago in Seattle. They saw coming out of camp, this was the better option. Don't I, I know you guys think like training camp is just a couple of practices and the and the three now three preseason games. There is hours and hours and hours of film that they comb over from right now when rookie minicamp start all the way through the final preseason game. Every practice is recorded. Every rep is recorded. They watch them over and over and over again to see what everybody is doing. They have plenty of tape on who can play and who can't. So they're going to find out real quick about Desmond Ritter. And if he can't play, they're going to anoint Marcus Mariota the starter because the sooner you get rid of that whole distraction, the better off things are. It's going to be an interesting offseason. All right, coming up next, uh, the Atlanta Braves. You know, I feel like I can actually predict when they'll be back above 500. I'm going to look at the schedule and tell you when that's going to happen. That is coming up next. Plus, Lauren Jabara from uh, Bally Sports will join us uh, later on in the show. Stay with me here on this Friday. I appreciate you guys making A to Z part of your everyday Atlanta sports listen right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We're free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Lauren Jabara from Valley Sports will join me coming up here in the final segment of the show on this Friday. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. And check out all the great shows we have here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. After A to Z, you have Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste, our Braves postcast with Grant McCauley. Don't forget about Locked On Hawks and Locked On Falcons. Locked On Hawks is with Aaron Freeman. I'm sorry, with Brad Rowland. And Locked On Falcons is with Aaron Freeman. So a great group of folks here, guys, trying to do the best we can to bring you everything you need for Atlanta sports right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us that thumbs up, that like, and we certainly appreciate you guys 
being along for this journey with us. It's been a lot of fun so far, and we'd love to hear some feedback from you guys out there, whether it's on social media or otherwise, on what you think of the job that we're doing so far. So please get in touch with us. And of course, you guys know I love the debate on Twitter. So hit me up there again, at Mark Zeno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. All right, Atlanta Braves. Uh, they are starting, it is now a eight-game homestand after being out on the road. And... You know, a lot of us are wondering when the Braves are finally going to kick it in gear and when it's all going to start to come together. I mean, you know, there's six and a half games back in the New York Mets who won a wild game last night, came down from six runs in the bottom of the ninth inning to beat the Phillies and uh, gut punched them right there. But nonetheless, you know, this is a, a Braves team that hasn't performed the way we thought they would. However, they're starting to turn it around. You know, the run differential is only minus eight right now, and they're starting to play a little bit better and get a little more consistent pitching. I have tried to employ you guys to be patient. I've tried to employ you to stop hitting the panic button. I've tried to tell you that they are not in a bad position at all, and yet people want to see this team be back where they were at World Series caliber level, and they aren't there yet. So they have an eight-game homestand coming up, right? Big weekend here at Truist Park as uh, it's Henry Aaron weekend or week, whatever it is. Uh, and they get the Milwaukee Brewers in town. They'll wear the throwback unis tonight, which are really sweet. I'm really excited for that. And my guess is Ronald Acuna hits his first home run tonight. Book it. He's, he, he hits home runs in those uniforms. I don't know why. Just call, call it a, uh, uh, a a bet that I'm willing to make. Ronald Acuna gets his first home run in these uh, 74 throwback uniforms. But they got three against Milwaukee, two against Boston, and three against San Diego. Now, here's what I'm going to predict where I think they are going to get over 500. Now, if they go eight, uh, six and two in these eight games, which means they take two out of three from Milwaukee, take two out of three from San Diego, and sweep the two game series with Boston. They're six and two. That would put them at 18 and 17, above 500 when it's all said and done, when this homestand is done, right? I think that's that is a good possibility. However, I don't think that that is what's going to happen, um, given where they are right now. Uh, Ian Anderson is pitching at home. He has not been good there this year, strangely enough. Um, you get uh, Charlie Morton, who has two chances, uh, both of them against really good teams right now in San Diego and Milwaukee. He's got to face them twice. Uh, and, you know, Kyle Wright it gets a start against Boston, which is an easy win for him. But against San Diego, a little bit of a different challenge, especially since you're going to see Darvish, Manea, and Musgrove in the three games against San Diego, probably their three best pitchers. So it might be more like five and three, and there'll be a game under 500 when it's all said and done, which means they take two out of three from Milwaukee, take two out of three from San Diego and split with Boston. That's how you're five and three, but you're still a game under 500. Then you look at their schedule and they've got to travel to Milwaukee and three games in Miami, which is not easy. Miami's already given the Braves fits. So they get a quick six game road trip and they come back from Philadelphia and Miami again, which are more, Obviously, NLEs games, all coin flips. Could they do it there? Possibly, but uh, I wouldn't say it's likely. I, I, if I'm just going across the board and and assuming you're going to be a little bit around 500 against Miami, and even with Philadelphia at this point in time, given where they are and given where we are, and this is kind of just assuming that they're playing at the level that they will, maybe a little bit above it. Um, you know, they'll be right around that 500 mark, hovering a game or two below it is my guess. And then as you close out May, you travel to Arizona and Colorado. And surprisingly, both those teams are above 500. Who knows where they'll be? I think that's another opportunity right there. If they are 
uh, right below that they could really go out there and do some damage out on the road. And in those seven games, three against Arizona and four against Colorado, really be able to um, to take advantage of some bad pitching, especially from the Colorado Rockies. But what I feel like I can guarantee is by the time we get to the second week of June and you get two against Oakland, four against Pittsburgh, and then three at Washington and three at the Chicago Cubs, which all ends June 19th, which is about a month and a half from now. If they aren't above 500 by the time they finish that, then I'm going to be concerned. By the time they get through the stretch of Oakland, Pittsburgh, and Washington, three of the worst teams in Major League Baseball, if by the time they hit that stretch right there, four, nine games, and they aren't above 500, that's a problem. That's to me when the latest they can be above or, or can't be above 500 before I start to feel uncomfortable with things. Given the opponents that they play over the course of the next couple of weeks and the next month plus, they'll be playing some really good teams. Now, again, are the Braves capable of heating up and going on a run and going on a tear and winning, you know, seven of, of nine? Absolutely. They have the talent, they have the pitching, they have everything you need to be able to do so, but it's tough to do that against really good teams. You know, they, they have really good pitchers out there, too, that they're going to face and really good bullpens that they're going to see that are going to be able to keep the Braves offensively in check. And again, I look at all the NL East games as sort of toss-ups right now. They could run the table on those. They can get beat on those. It's really hard to figure out when they get to the middle of and end of May against Miami and Philadelphia, which they'll play them at 10, 10 games in a row, both home and road, between the Marlins and the Phillies. So... Uh, who knows? It, it could happen there. But again, I think once you get to Memorial Day, which is obviously the last weekend in May, uh, and you're out in Arizona and Colorado, I think that's where it really should start to turn. But then they come back after that West Coast swing and they get Oakland, Pittsburgh, and Washington. That has to be the spot where they're above 500. And that's the beginning of June. And you're, you're, you're really only two-fifths of the way through the season at that point. Right? Like that's, you know, you still got you still got three months left. July, August, and September. And you're not even, you know, I mean, it's more like you only got two, you got four months left almost, you know, if you count the middle of June, but still you got three full months left uh, of baseball. So you're you're right where you need to be. And I think that's fair for this team. I, I don't think you need to raise the expectations anything more than that at this point in time. They are in a good position. They are being able right now to start to get better and, and figure things out. And oh, by the way, this is also assuming there's no major injuries. I mean, that's a big part of all this. And it's a big part of it for the New York Mets. When is Jacob deGrom coming back? When, how much better can these guys pitch at this level where they are right now? How, how, how much can these guys continue to hit? All that stuff is going to play into it. So um, there's there's a lot of things that are going to factor into what the Braves do. And, and I, I don't know that we necessarily need to continue to panic at this point in time. What you should panic about is you're, if you're a Braves fan is this, this looming sort of Bally Sports streaming service deal um, that may be out there. I don't know if you've been following this, but you should follow it in the periphery uh, because Bally Sports, who broadcasts the Braves game and, and Sinclair Broadcast Group owns 19 Bally branded regional sports networks across the country, including, you know, Bally Sports South and Bally Sports Southeast right here, which we get in Atlanta. Um, and they're looking at a $20 a month streaming service for Hawks and Braves games. And I wonder how many of you fans out there uh, would be willing to pay that each month. 
I don't have to worry about it. I'm still old school cable guy. I'll always be old school cable guy until they give me a reason not to be. I, I mean, at this point, when you're streaming together, $8 here, $9 there, $14 here, $12 there for all these different channels that I, I just give me one company that does it all. It's so much easier of a headache. I, I don't have to worry about it. I get access to all the streaming services anyway. So if for whatever reason uh, I'm traveling, whatever, I can watch everything on, on an iPad or I mean, it, you know, I'm just old school cable guy like that. I'm, I'm not going to go away until, and I think all these streaming services, by the way, are going to start to cannibalize each other and people are going to go back to cable just because it's easier and it's more convenient. I'm not somebody who needs like eight bills when I can get them all consolidated into one bill. That's just kind of the way I, I handle things. But I'm curious to see how many Braves fans are willing to pay for it. Um, it, it. The NBA has a deal to be able to stream their games. MLB does not have a, a standard deal across the board. Each mark, each club, a uh, baseball club does it individually. And right now there are only five clubs that have agreed to be able to stream their games. Um, and the Braves aren't one of them. And so uh there's still some dealing left to be done if this is actually going to happen but i'm sure bally sports wants it to happen and it, and it hasn't happened yet uh but if it does braves and hawks fans might be in a little bit of a tough spot one way or another if they'd like to go see the games if they're not going to pay for regular cable so on the bright side you might not have to watch the braves until they're above 500 if this all goes down that way see there's a silver lining in everything folks all right speaking of bally sports up next my good friend lauren jabbar is going to join me uh of hawks reporter for bally sports uh we'll talk some hawks off season as well maybe a little gambling that's coming up next right here on a to z on locked on sports atlanta free on youtube and wherever you get your podcast make sure you search locked on sports atlanta we'll be right back Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give us a follow on Twitter at Mark Zino and at Locked On ATL. Well, up here now, one of my favorite guests, my good friend. We work together at another outlet called PixWise, but you can see her and hear her all over Bally Sports as she is the Hawks sideline reporter. And it is Lauren Jabara joining us here. On what is up? Oh, Jay, how are you, girl? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? It's like raining out outside though i know i know it's 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 uh not the day (laughs) that we wanted not the way we wanted to start the weekend certainly and not the way that the atlanta hawks wanted to start their offseason was getting a gentleman sweep on the way out at the hands of miami heat um and well i'm not going to make the heat series an indictment of kind of where they are you know I, i said yesterday and i feel pretty confident in saying this that if the goal is you know i've heard people talk about like oh the hawks future is bright and i feel good Mm -hmm. about it well if bright means to be a fun team a competitive team and make the playoffs and win some games then yes the future is very bright but if by future bright meaning win a championship no the 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 one thing i know you can't do is run it back with this same crew because at best lauren right now i think you're the sixth best team in the east you're not as good as milwaukee you're not as good as boston you're not as good as uh um uh, miami and certainly not as good as Brooklyn, given if they are a healthy team and, you know, they have 100% of their players for the whole year. And then on top of that, you know, you still have a team like the 76ers that, if healthy, is better than you are. So, you know, I don't know what changes you can really make to the core of this roster, but do you agree that they sort of can't run it back again with this same group? I don't totally agree on that just because we rarely saw a healthy Atlanta Hawks team this season um and i've said it before like the beginning of the season five of the guys 
were coming in off of surgeries and they didn't even get to participate in preseason. And just when they were kind of hitting their stride late November, early December, COVID hit the team and 13 of the 15 guys at one point were on the COVID protocol list. So you're playing with random 10 day contract players that Trey Young's like walking into the locker room. He's like, I only know who two of my 15 teammates are at this point for this game. And then you kind of get everyone back and lungs are a little, you know, iffy and legs are a little iffy. And finally people are starting to get healthy and then boom, more injuries. Bogey's knee is hurting. Gallo's arm is hurting. Um, who else? John Collins is out with a finger sprain and a foot strain. So I think it was difficult this season, one, to see what this team is capable of with all the pieces that they do have. And two, it was just a weird year with COVID in general and seeing how much stronger the East got. It's hard to kind of you know, see what this team is completely capable of. And even in that series against the Heat, guess what? You don't have Clint Capella because he got injured in, in the game against the Cavs in the play-in game. Or not the Cavs. Yeah, it was the Cavs. Yeah, it was the Cavs. Um, and then John Collins is probably coming back a little bit too early with his finger and his in his foot. And you didn't get to see him at fully 100% in that series. And that was the first time that he played since March 11th. Like, you're not getting a fully healthy Hawks team to be able to base that assumption on. So I think they could run it back. I think that they maybe need to add a couple more pieces, especially on the defensive side, well, that, to help strengthen up the defense, yeah, that obviously. Was my, my next question was yeah. just, okay, so you run it back, but still your defense is terrible. Like, even if yeah. you're healthy, this is a bad defense. And so I don't know how one player necessarily makes them that much better. Because, look, I mean, the core of, of six guys is set, right? Trey, John, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and there's one more guy, Kevin, Kevin Herter, maybe? Under, like those five guys are under contract and they're not going anywhere. So, you know, I don't know what is left for them. Um, and I know they have a mid-level exemption, but, I, you know, I don't know where they go to, to find a high-level defender that really changes dynamically the face of this, this defense. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, to see the moves that they make this offseason, to see the draft and how that kind of goes. I'm not mistaken. I don't think the Hawks have, you know, a high draft pick by any means. But it's also going to be interesting to see, you know, a guy like Jalen Johnson and how he develops um, at Summer League this year and what he can bring to the team because that guy is freaking athletic. He can fly when he jumps in the air. And so seeing a guy who has another year of experience maybe come out, and especially on the defensive side, he's a really great rebounder. He's a really great defender. So seeing maybe what he can bring to the team. Um, seeing a guy like DeAndre Hunter, who was out for eight weeks this season with a wrist surgery, um, with his with his right wrist tendon or whatever it was, come back in because he's probably the Hawks' best defender at this point, uh, other than Clint Capella and the and the rebounds that he snagged. Seeing Clint Capella healthy for a season because he was one of the ones that came into the season. He had that Achilles treatment or surgery that he got on his Achilles tendon, so he didn't even come into the season completely healthy. And he said the first time that he really got his legs underneath him was probably in, like, January sometime like after he recovered from COVID and came back like is when you really can finally start getting into a rhythm and Kevin Herter said the same thing that that was really the first time after having those eight nine days off resting for you know when he was had COVID that he really felt healthy for the first time in the season when you're having guys for the first time in the season feel healthy in January most of the season's done at that point. So I think it's going to be interesting coming into this next season. Most of these guys are going to this offseason pretty healthy, besides John Collins um, and besides Clint Capella. But I think his knee is already feeling a little bit better just not playing on it. Um, 
And just seeing how these guys come out next season after having a full summer to really train and get their legs underneath them. And then a full preseason um, with all of those games to, to really get it going so you can hit the ground running come game one of the 82 game schedule. All right. I'm going to ask this question. Just sort of, I, I, I'm not advocating anything. I'm just openly asking you to judge the job that Nate McMillan has done, because after I saw the Heat series, I began to wonder, is he the right coach to elevate this team to another level? And again, I'm not advocating him to be fired. I'm just sort of objectively asking, and I can rephrase it, I guess, what are the holes in Nate McMillan's coaching that may be holding this team back? Honestly, I don't see many. Um, you look at what they were able to do, and I know we talked about the 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 – playoff run last season right. and this season's a different season than last season but you saw what he was able to do when he took over and the team went 24 and 9 to finish out the regular season and they went on the run that they did made it to the eastern conference finals were two wins away base or one win away basically from from making it to the finals and it was just you know that that was him and kind of the adjustments he was able to make and how hot the the team got offensively seeing him for a full season this year I think he was again throwing a lot of different pieces that that's hard to coach through. Like when you walk, when you walk into a locker room and you only know two of your 15 guys that you have on the court, like how are you supposed to be able to make in-game adjustments with players you don't even know necessarily what they're doing? Like these are random 10-day contract players that you're getting. And then having to mix and match with injuries all season long. Like this team dealt with so many injuries. And these are not just excuses. They're really not. But it's like as a coach, how are you supposed to find that chemistry and find that rhythm? The Hawks had, I think it was like, the second most different combinations for their starting lineup all yeah. season long behind, I don't remember what the first team was, but it's like, that's tough as a coach having to come in and try to adjust every single game, not having all of your players, you know? And I know every coach has to do it. I know. Um, but in terms of holes, like, I just think it was just the fate of the team this season and in the kind of the cards that they were dealt, they, it wasn't a great hand. It's like when you're playing Euchre and you just get, a lot of, you know, <laughs> nines and tens. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. You want to see the Jackson more of a Stains guy than Euchre, but that's okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, let, let me ask you this, because David Aldridge, who's covered this league for, you know, 30 years now and knows it as well as anybody else, wrote a column for The Athletic mm -hmm. uh, and talked about one of the things, you know, all the teams that had a first-round playoff exit, what they needed to do in the offseason. And he said, and I thought this is really poignant, that the Hawks, it feels like they need more of an attitude adjustment than a personnel adjustment. Uh, and from the standpoint of, like, there was talk early on this year, you know, that the Hawks had felt like they were playing like they had arrived. You know, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year and that they sort of, you know, had this little uh, feeling like, you know, they were better than what they really were. And Trey Young being some of that, you know, by the, with the statement of, oh, the regular season is boring, you know, I'm going to put more focus on the postseason. Well, you know, the results didn't bear that out. Um, and Trey being the emotional leader of this team, is there some more maturing he has to do? Or is he responsible more than the coach, per se, to change that sort of mentality that this team needs to be hungrier? I – okay, so that – that um quote from Trey at the beginning of the regular season was actually taken out of context. He went on to say mm -hmm. after – the regular season he didn't say it's boring it's just i don't remember the exact words that he said but he said the regular season isn't as exciting and then he went on that quote was cut off and he actually went on to say 
right after that, that, you know, it's just the, in the postseason, people get up and there's a lot of energy. And he says for every regular season game, you have to kind of cultivate that energy yourself. So it wasn't him necessarily saying the regular season is boring. I mean, everyone could agree when you're watching postseason basketball, postseason hockey, it's just everyone takes it to another level. That's just how it is. That's that's how it is in every single sport. And so I think that he was trying to say there that you have to get yourself up for those games. It's not just like the energy and the crowd. Like when you're playing game 37 of the of the regular season in Oklahoma City, you know, like that's going to be a little bit harder to get up for than when you're playing. Are you trying to tell two. me Tuesday nights in December aren't exciting in the NBA? Are you, is that what you're trying to tell me? No, that's not what I'm trying to say. But it's like you have to get yourself up for those games, you know, and it's an energy you have to cultivate yourself with your team. And then also when you feel like maybe you don't have that chemistry right now because guys are injured and guys are in and out of the lineup and then guys have COVID and then more guys are injured. And it's like you're playing with so many different people. It's hard to build that chemistry with a starting lineup. So I think attitude adjustment. It, it was tough at the beginning of the season when the team started four and seven. It's like they came off of that Eastern Conference Finals run, and then you're coming into the next season, and some guys aren't healthy, and then you're not getting the results that you necessarily want right from the beginning of the season after starting out the season with game one strong against the Mavs. I think it's just tough, like, mentally to get up for some of these games. But So maybe it is a little bit of an attitude adjustment, but I don't think that they're going to have a problem getting there at all because – Every single year, you've seen the growth in a guy like Trey Young. Every single year, you've seen the growth in a guy like John Collins. You have veterans on the team like Danilo Gallinari, Lou Williams, who's a soft-spoken guy. I don't know if he's going to be on the team next year. A soft-spoken guy, but he is a leader for the team as well. People look up to him. People respect him. So I think that these players are growing every single year. Like the Hawks are a young team. They're learning. They're they're adjusting. They're growing, and they're going to get there. Um, but in terms of attitude. Like I think, I think they're going to be just fine. We'll just we'll get them a, a basketball Viagra. Uh, we'll have to get <laughs> up in the morning. So there you go. All right, Lauren Jabara. Follow her on Twitter at Lauren Jabara. Of course, you can see her on Bally Sports on the Hawks sideline as well. Check her out on Pixwise and Pixwise.com. Great to talk to you as always. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Thanks, you know. we'll do this again real soon. Yes, and also congratulations on your promotion. Thanks, so thank excited you. for you. Thank you for those who don't know. I'm being promoted to Colonel later today. So uh, it's a it's a big day in, in general world. Uh, whole family yes, it is. Sure for it. But thank you very <laughs> much. Very humbly, humbly accept your praise. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Zeno. All right. Take care. That'll do it for us here on A to Z here on this Friday. Uh, appreciate you guys making A to Z your first listen every day. Make your second listen. Hitting hard with John Chuckery right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. The ATL Sports Talker taking you through all of the hard-hitting sports takes for everything in Atlanta sports. And again, you'll hear them right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Certainly appreciate you guys spending your time here with me today. Uh, back on Monday for another big show. You guys have a great weekend. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 